Welcome to the Faith at Work podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. The messages of Faith at Work address spiritual, religious, and scriptural issues with practical value for your life at work and at home. I invite you to join me in exploring the questions which defy easy answers. What's the purpose of my life? Why is there so much suffering in the world? How can I become the best version of myself? We'll often be turning to scripture, other sources of religious wisdom, and the events of everyday life to help us in our spiritual quest. I try to relate without prejudice to people of all religious traditions and those who claim no religious allegiance at all. Today I'm going to focus on how we can live at peace with our friends and family who differ from us in their political and personal beliefs. So let's begin. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Something deeply disturbing is happening in America as evidenced by the behavior of our leaders at the recent State of the Union address. After months of bipartisan bitterness over the impeachment of Donald Trump in the U.S. House of Representatives and his acquittal, President Trump and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi exchanged not-so-subtle unpleasantries in front of the American people. After Nancy Pelosi snubbed the president with a shortened introduction, President Trump returned the stub by leaving her outstretched hand unshaken. The speaker returned his valet by petulantly ripping up her copy of the speech behind the president's back in full view of the American people. The next day, the president fired the final shot in this valet at the national prayer breakfast, saying, I don't like people who say I pray for you when you know that it's not so. His comment was an obvious reference to Pelosi's comment weeks before when she publicly said that she prayed for the president. Now, some people cheered Pelosi for her defiant action and for her willingness to pray for the president. Others cheered the president's actions as acts and words of righteous indignation. What was playing out before our eyes was not just a petty spat between two politicians who are old enough to know better. This display exposed a fault line in American society, producing tremors that affect all of us. A 2017 Reuters Ipsos poll found that one in six Americans had stopped talking to a family member or a close friend because of the 2016 election. Anecdotally, I can report that things are not getting better. A friend of mine recently told me, I don't call my brother in California anymore. All he talks about is how great Trump is. Within two days, a different friend angrily said, I unfriended Kurt on Facebook. He keeps parroting all the lies that the Democrats are using to destroy the president we elected. And he calls himself an American. A lot of people have chosen one of two equally unhealthy ways of dealing with their ideological differences. Some, like my two friends that I mentioned above, have broken off their relationships with family and friends with whom they disagree. Now, that's a shame. And others have entered into cones of silence around the political issues. 
They just don't talk about it. That strategy results in friends and family tiptoeing around the elephant and the donkey in the middle of the room. That's also a shame. How many times have you caught yourself saying something like, I can't believe that she can support those vindictive Democrats? Or, how can any intelligent, educated person deny climate change? Believe it. They can. And they do. Yeah, we do. Like it or not, intelligent people can look at the same facts and draw opposite conclusions from yours. Are the people who you otherwise love and respect but can't understand, are they stupid, self-deluded, or insane? I'm going to go with none of the above. Something deeper is going on here. In his book, Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from a Culture of Contempt, sociologist Arthur C. Brooks says that we're not just angry with or disagree with people of opposing political beliefs. We hold them in contempt. Now, he defines contempt as anger mixed with distrust. Contempt involves deep feelings of disdain or disgust for another person's opinions and character. When we express contempt, we're implying that there's something wrong with or defecting about, defective about the other person. We can even go to the point of saying that we think our opponent is less than human and possibly evil. Dehumanizing our enemies like that makes it easier to feel badly about them and treat them badly. When we feel this way, when we find others contemptible, our opponent becomes an enemy. A good example of the dehumanization of our enemies can be seen in the American characteristic characterization of the Japanese in World War II. The Japanese were not seen as other human beings with conflicting economic and political interests in the Pacific. The Japanese were described as inscrutable and treacherous. They snuck up on us in Pearl Harbor. They were tagged with derogatory names like Jap and Nip. These pejorative terms permeate our culture at every level. Two cartoons of the day produced during the war were Bugs Bunny Nips the Nips and You're a Sap, Mr. Jap. They assured that even children got the message. A less-than-human enemy cannot be reasoned with, only destroyed. December 7, 1942, as President Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, predicted, is a date which still lives on in infamy. And it is undeniable that Japanese troops were responsible for unspeakable brutality against the Chinese and American prisoners of war. The demonization of the Japanese people as a whole, however, led to the unjust persecution and internment of thousands of innocent Japanese Americans. Contempt is much more damaging to relationships than anger because it's permanent. We can disagree with people or be angry with them without feeling contempt for them. We can be angry with someone who is misinformed or mistaken about an issue, and those things can be remedied by providing more accurate information or by rational explanation of how their opinion is flawed. We may even be forced into armed conflict as a corrective. 
we are less likely to believe that we can affect any meaningful change in someone who we see as morally or intellectually damaged goods. Our enemies need to be destroyed, not rehabilitated. We often put our contempt on visible display like Speaker Pelosi and President Trump demonstrated in such grand style. We expose the objects of our contempt to ridicule, parody, sarcasm, and the occasional withering eye roll. Those behaviors don't lend themselves to reasoned rebuttals. Instead, they encourage equally, equally infantile acts in return. Roll your eyes at me, and I'll stick my tongue out at you. Those are, to say the least, not productive interactions. Unfortunately, we are living in a culture where contempt has become the norm. Pelosi holds Trump in contempt, and he feels contempt for her. The House holds the Senate in contempt, and vice versa. Republicans roll their eyes at Democrats, and Democrats give Republicans the figure. Sometimes literally. Conservatives hold liberals in contempt, and liberals gladly return the flavor. We, the American people, have segregated ourselves into two enemy camps with hard feelings toward each other, reminiscent of the North versus the South in the American Civil War. How do we break this cycle of, this cycle of contempt-filled abuse when it occurs? How can we stop seeing our political rivals as enemies? Now, my answer may seem naive or Pollyannish, but we break out of the downward spiral of contempt by showing loving kindness. When we are punched, we resist the urge to counterpunch. We return a scornful sneer with a loving smile. Unconditional love is the antidote to contempt. We love our enemies. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus laid down a lot of moral teachings, none greater than this simple prescription. Love your enemies. Now, this is not a one-off peripheral afterthought that Jesus used to pad his sermon. It was already running long. Loving one's enemy is the ultimate expression of what Jesus rated as the greatest of all commandments. Love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the logical extension of turn the other cheek and Father forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the very core of the gospel. Love of enemies may seem extreme or even impossible in practice, but if we take Jesus at his word, it's not negotiable. Aspiring to live by the, these words is essential. It's important and helpful to understand what Jesus means by the word love. Now, he certainly didn't use love to mean a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. We're never going to feel that way for a brutal tyrant or someone who wants to hurt us. To love is to wish well for the other by virtue of the fact that they are human beings created and loved by the same God who created and loved us. In the terms in which I have been speaking, love implies a commitment to forfeit the right to hold the other in contempt. 
Notice that loving does not mean that we have to agree or surrender our own values or opinions. Loving kindness is a disposition of the heart that leaves the door open for reconciliation. Paradoxically, when we love our enemies, they cease to be our enemies. Instead, we now see them as human beings like us. Perhaps they are misguided in our opinion, but human beings nonetheless. Think how freeing that can be. If we always loved our enemies, we would cease to have enemies anywhere. Following this commandment is a necessary precursor to peace in our hearts, in our country, and in our world. So here are a few practical steps that anyone who feels challenged to love their enemies, I guess that would be all of us, can take. Number one, refrain at all times from ridicule, sarcasm, parody, name-calling, and eye-rolling. Two, try to find common ground with the perceived enemy, especially family members and friends. Ask, what can we agree on? Three, pray for the health, happiness, and well-being of your enemy, even if it feels insecure. The act of prayer will help open up and heal your heart. Number four, inform others with whom you share a common perspective of your commitment to loving kindness. Now, warning, your refusal to join in attacking the enemy may be perceived as an act of betrayal. Number five, repent and ask for forgiveness for hurtful actions or words, intentional or unintentional, that you have said and done. And number six, Turn off the news and ignore negative stuff on social media. Quietly unfollow Facebook feeds that stoke the fires of anger and contempt in you. In the keynote address at the National Prayer Breakfast to which I alluded earlier, Arthur Brooks cited the crisis of contempt in America and urged those present, Love your enemies. President Trump stood and began his remarks with the reply, I don't know if I agree, agree with you. Trump's critics jumped on the opportunity to attack his faith. That evening I watched one commentator roll her eyes and remark, and that man calls himself a Christian. Ironically, lost on her was the fact that she had just demonstrated her inability to love her enemy. Bazinga. You know, see, contempt is an insidious, sneaky beast. It just inspired my bazinga. We all need to be on our toes, lest it infect our hearts. Loving our leaders in Washington will have no direct effect on them. But refusing to show our contempt for them sends a message to the people within our own circle of influence. More importantly, letting go of our contempt that has damaged precious relationships can heal our hearts and open the door for restoration and reconciliation. And isn't that what we all want? Isn't it what we all need? Now, I would imagine that some of you are reading what I've just written, and you will perceive me as a traitor to the cause, whatever that may be. 
or at best I'm a spineless, wishy-washy fool. You may hold me in contempt. If so, let me plead for your loving kindness. Thank you for joining me today. May your heart be filled with loving kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease.